Mindless Can, the podcast, with radio personality Jane Lindley Thomas and psychologist Paul Bushel. Because every act of kindness, no matter how big or small, can change lives. In this series, Jane and Paul hope to enrich your life by giving you practical tools on how to be kinder in your relationships with yourself, with those around you, at home, work, and in your community. Right, welcome to the Kindness Can podcast with myself, psychologist and author Paul Bushell. As always, I'm joined by my very dear special, Jane Lindley Thomas. How are you, Jane? Hello, my love. Nice to speak to you again. How are things going? Yeah, good, good. Today, Jane and I are joined by one of my oldest friends. Her and I were just laughing about the fact that when we were six, we started the Snoopy Club in her parents' backyard, which was just pure delight and joy to connect with. Welcome to Shannon Smuts, mom, chef, advocate for healthy living, pure good food. Welcome, Shan. So nice to see you. So nice to connect with you. You too, Paul and Jay. Nice to meet you. And thank you so much for having me on the show, just to share my story. I think it's, it's a really valuable platform that you guys are using to hopefully ease some of the stigma around this crazy stuff. Last week on Instagram, Shannon shared a really personal and brave and courageous video talking about her diagnosis with coronavirus, COVID-19. You know, for me, I just have been absolutely amazed at how, what, we're a couple of months into this and you're the first person that has actually agreed to talk to us. And if that doesn't talk of stigma and almost like like social shunning, really, mm. So talk us through what it's been like living with COVID-19 for the last week. <laughs> well, um, it's quite funny because I feel so, I wouldn't say awkward, but I feel so, what's the right word, undeserving to say that I'm sharing my story because I really don't feel like I've got so much of a story. I'm one of the many, many, many hundreds of thousands in our country and millions in the world that's contracted a virus that's you know spreading through the, the globe as a global pandemic. And I noticed exactly what you said, that not a lot of people were really being open and honest about it. And, I, and, and there was this shame that hung around it. And I just thought, you know, I've got a, a small following on, on Instagram. And I thought, what a way to be able to, A, not only tell people that it's okay if you've got the virus, but in my work in, in health and wellness and in the stuff that I, I believe really strongly in, I thought, what a good way to empower people with knowledge. You know, there's just so much stuff out there and people learn through, I think, exposure and they're almost pacified by the exposure to something that right now is quite scary and, and daunting for most. Okay, so take us back to where this all started for you. I mean, I assume you woke up one morning having a cough thinking, oh my gosh, is it the winter chills or do I have the dreaded COVID-19? Where did it start for you? So this was about the, I'd say, 25th time that I was certain I had uh, coronavirus because obviously everybody's, everybody's <laughs> yes. woke up every morning. They're like, oh my gosh, my throat. Yes. And, um, I've got a, a, a contract catering company that does healthy on-site cafeterias. We've been working from the, the beginning of the lockdown doing feeding schemes um, and soup kitchens. And so I've been exposed, I guess you could say I've been exposed quite early on, on a daily basis. And so you do, you get that, like you drive in the car and you like, you like swallow a couple of times. You're like, that's it. That's it. It's got me. I can feel it. Um, and actually when I say that I've been pretty good with the social distancing, I haven't done that much socializing, even when things started relaxing, but this happened to be the one week that 
I just had this like chock-a-block schedule of seeing people that were outside of my work environment. So it's in those moments that you are vulnerable, that when you are, when you like relaxed, you know, when you, when you're seeing someone for coffee and you take your mask off and you have a chat and a walk, when I'm at the feeding schemes, when I'm going into Kalicha or Samora Michelle or, um, into the refugee camps that we work with, um, we are so vigilant with our PPE. And that's all it really takes is to be vigilant with your mask and your sanitizer and, and your personal protection. It's in those times that you like chat to all people that you, that you are at the most risk. And that's what happened. So uh, it was the first question every single person who contacted me asked me, who did you get it from? Where did you get it from? Almost to be like, who, who do we have to avoid? <laughs> And it wasn't from the, what people expected it to be. People, uh, even I expected it to be from maybe going into one of the, the feeding schemes. And my doctor was like, it's probably not. If you are wearing, you know, I wear a, an extremely high quality mask with a built-in filter. We sanitize like mad properly. So, and we keep social distancing while we're out there. He said to me, it's most probably when you went to get a coffee or you were at the shops or you just, you know, I wouldn't say let your guard down because it's not like you, you know, got your defenses up, but it's those moments when you aren't practicing good social distancing, aren't wearing your mask, aren't cleaning your hands regularly. So yeah, I don't know. Started getting a little bit of a runny nose on last Sunday. We had a horrendous storm in Cape Town over that weekend and I'd taken my little boy for a walk on the Saturday. So I thought maybe I just got caught in the rain. And then on Sunday, on Monday morning, I woke up and I was sick. Like I was so tired. I couldn't get out of bed. And those who know me, I work at an extremely high pace. I mean, I never stop. I don't think I've ever walked anywhere in my life. I run from here to the car, to my office, to I'm just constantly running around. So I, I, when my body took a hit like that, I knew something was wrong. Not wrong, but I just knew that this was different. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a little bit of a sniffles. And because of the number of people I'd seen the week before, I immediately just started notifying people saying, listen, I'm showing symptoms. I don't know. Again, this is the 25th time I've had coronavirus but let me try and get a test um, so that I can be sure. I'm also not allowed access to my kitchens and for my, my team as well. It was important that I, that I knew for sure. And that was really hard to get the test. The test was the hardest thing to actually organize because they don't want you to come in, especially if you're showing symptoms. So us, it was a bit us, of a... If I could a, pause a, you for a second and say, talk us through how that organizing the test process worked. Because that was one of the things that you mentioned in your so, first video. Yeah. So, it, you know, I... It's the second test I've had. I had to, one of my volunteers was tested positive early on in, in April and I was exposed. So I, I'd been for a test already and it was much easier then. I phoned the hotline. They directed me to Vincent Pilotti. I drove straight there. I waited in my car and then they phoned me when I could come in. I had a double nose dip. Those who have had mm. a coronavirus test can understand mm. my, um, I don't know anyone who's had a double nose dip, but yeah, I got a double one each nostril <laughs> and, and I got the results 24 hours later and it was easy. This time, uh, first I phoned the hotline and they said, no, you, you mustn't come in. You must isolate. I said, that's fine. I'm happy to isolate, but I need to provide my corporates that we work with, with a positive or negative test results because they have their own internal procedures they have to follow. I then thought, okay, I'll try the disc chem route because that's free. Discovery have an amazing online app that's available to everyone, not only Discovery members, that connects you to doctors. I phoned that helpline. I got put through to a really helpful guy that I'm pretty sure was somewhere in India on the phone. 
And he spoke me through the whole process and he said, look, if you need the test results back, you need to go up the private route, go to a doc, uh, you need to get a referral from your doctor and go into a path care or a, a Lancet because the dyschem takes about 10 to 12 days to get the results. I don't actually have a, a GP. I don't do the doctor stuff. I live a pretty healthy life, but anyway, so I had to find a, a GP here and I was so lucky that the local GP where I'm staying in Simonstown was so kind you know, they were like, don't come in. Please don't come in. He said, I'll write you um, a referral with pleasure. And off I went straight to Kingsbury, found out when I got there that you actually had to book with Pathcare to come in to have your test results back. But some well-timed puppy dog eyes allowed them to let me sneak in and get tested, which I wouldn't recommend anybody else does. And I got the results less than, geez, it must have been about 10 hours later. Less. I went late afternoon and I got the results first thing in the morning and it was a positive test. I knew it was positive before because I'd lost my taste and smell. And that's the kicker. You know, when you can't smell your hand sanitizer, you know you've got Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the nose dipping for, for anybody that's like, well, what's a nose dip? That sounds fun. I don't want to scare your listeners into getting a test. So what I, what I do know is it's they are replacing the nose dip with the throat swab more and more places. The nose dip is basically like a really long earbud that they then stick up your nose and what feels like scrapes past your eyeball and tickles your brain for a little bit and then comes all the way back down. But what it actually does is it goes all the way back down the base of your throat from your nasal passage, whatever. So it's quite a... It's quite an experience. When they pull it out, it's the biggest relief you've ever felt in your life. And I'm the only person I know that then had it shoved straight back up the other side nostril. So I think I caught that doctor on a, on a bad day. <laughs> I just don't know how I would not gag because that for me is just like, I'm going to gag, bro. I'm going <laughs> to <Yeah>. gag. <laughs> you gag. Don't worry, you gag. It's not the most graceful of tests to go through. At the same time, though, it's kind of, quick and instant and what I'm hearing the whole process if you if you know what you're doing like you're describing to us go on the discovery website phone the hotline pretty easily they're going to direct you where to go and you can be in and out of that test with a bit of a nose dip in the middle pretty easily so so easy it seems like there's just a little bit of there's a, a disconnect between how to get started or what to do and I do, I, I do understand what they're trying to do now. They don't want people to be coming in, getting tested. If you're showing the symptoms, they would rather you stay home, isolate for two weeks and, and just assume that you've got it. And I, I think it's pretty clear. You're going to know if you get it. And the sore throat, uh, what I've found is that there seem to be two camps. You either have the, the symptoms I have, which is no fever, no sore throat, no cough, no chesty, anything, just the most extreme fatigue you've ever felt in your life and quite severe and uncomfortable body aches. Or you are the other camp that has get the sore throat, the flu-like symptoms, the chesty bits and, and the cough. So I think that the, if you don't need to get a test, if you don't need it for work, if you don't need it because you know, you, you've exposed to people that are maybe vulnerable, then you just stay at home. Save yourself the, the money. I think only certain medical aids are, are paying for it. It's not a government-covered cost. It's, it costs you 850 rand plus the consult fee that the, the doctor will charge you. So you're in for over a thousand for sure. Okay, so we've spoken about um, the procedure, but how has the social shunning been? How has the response from your friends been and your family? I mean, how, how are people taking this news? 
So I'm one of those people that is like, if something's happening and you are like nervous about it or anything, I'd like to just take it face on, you know, I'm like, rather let me be the one that holds the narrative than everybody talking behind my back. Mm. So that's mainly was the reason why I was like, I wanted to just talk about it on Instagram. Actually, I wanted to talk about it because I was getting so many messages. I thought if I just come clean, then everyone will leave me alone. Gosh, was I wrong about that? I think because I was so open about it from the beginning, people couldn't really shun and shame me because I'd already said to them, why would you shun and shame me? So it was almost like a little bit of what do you call it, Paul, in reverse psychology. psychology? Reverse psychology, there we go. Um, I have a toddler, so I know how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just, uh, it, I think I was quite concerned that I would be shunned and like stigmatized, and I didn't, want that, I didn't want that to be the case. I certainly haven't shunned or put a stigma on anyone I know that's had the disease, but I, I do know that there are so many people who, de- who want to just keep it secret, and I, I just think that is just, I don't know. Just for me, it seems silly. It, it makes something bigger than, than what it should be. And we shouldn't be buying into the hype of this, the extreme fear and stigma that is hanging around this virus. It's a, it's a virus. It's here. It's real. And rather let's like use each other to learn and empower each other with, with information and, and get through it together rather than like, you know, segregated around it. Yeah. I suppose fear drives a lot of a lot of unhealthy behavior in the situation. Uh, the fear prompts the shunning and the stigma, okay? The fear also prompts people not to want to get tested or isolate or talk about it. And I think what's really important, and it's coming through quite strongly in your narrative, is that there's so much value in actually being open and talking about it because this is not something that we do intentionally or with malice. Mm. It's a virus that's affecting millions of people around the world. And the nature of it is that it is so incidental and casual. You Just by breathing, uh, you pass it on and, and share it. And we can't exactly expect all of us to just stop breathing right now. But by being open about it, we, exactly. encourage, we encourage each other to go and get tested, to social, socially isolate and take the precautions. And there's health in that. That's healthy, right? Yeah. And I think also... I wanted to show people I was very, I was pretty much certain. I mean, I say this now, I'm feeling great today in touch word, but I was pretty certain that I would be able to process the virus very well. I live an extremely healthy life. I'm fit and active. I'm not in an age range that is that should be worrying. I don't have any comorbidities. And I, I, was, I wanted to use the, the experience to, to show people like, this is not going anywhere. And at the end of the day, it's going to be your health and wellness that you know determines whether you get through this or not in, a, in an uncomfortable or comfortable way. Um, and to make people start actually like re-looking at the way that they live and like the, the choices that they make. I don't know, but for me, the really heavy lockdown was such a win because for five weeks of the year, no one could eat junk food. <laughs> like no one in the whole country could have a processed cheeseburger with plastic cheese on it. I must say that I felt quite disappointed at how we as a collective have handled this. I don't know where the kind of default was that when somebody's down, just push them away, Brie. Like, this is on you. Like, don't bring that near me. Where did you get it from? I need to know them. I need to know your contacts. Now you need to move aside. Where did that come from? As opposed to a, my fellow man is not feeling too careful. What can I do to help you? Yeah, I think that this whole 
oh gosh, can get me started on a rancher. But this this whole thing is is it's this shift in like the global mindset that we are so insular and we're so concerned about ourselves in everything that we do, from business to work to personal lives to family. You get so caught up in your own stuff. You don't you stop thinking about or caring about you know the person next to you, whether it's a stranger or someone you know. And the mask subject. I mean this. I have, for some reason, people also seem to want to tag me in all these like conspiracy theories and, you know, like you mustn't wear a mask because it can lower your immune system and like tagging in all these things. And I just like, you're not really wearing a mask for yourself. It's this, this virus is going to teach people to be, to stop being selfless. You wear the mask for somebody else. I don't, I'm not worried about getting the virus. I've never have been, but I wear a mask to make sure that if I have the virus, I'm not going to pass it on to someone else even though I did, but you know, that it wasn't in that intent. But um, the idea that people are looking for reasons to not wear masks just, just blows my mind. I mean, we've got how many millions of surgeons all over the world that wear a mask for hours and hours a day performing surgeries. They don't have extremely compromised immune systems and all these terrible things they're relating to wearing masks. It's like baffles me. And how do you deal with now being at home with a toddler? Um, I mean, like, how do you deal with home relations? Do you just assume that all of you have got it and you quarantine for two weeks and hey, how off you go? No, no. So I'm glad you asked me that because it's actually been something a lot of people have asked me. I'm quarantining, quarantining. So actually it's a very, quarantine and isolation are two very separate things. I, I learned this yesterday. Isolation is when you are positive and you cannot, you're not allowed to see anyone. Quarantine is just when you're laying low. So I'm isolating from my entire family. They are in quarantine slash isolation as well, because I did, I touched base with a couple of contacts that people had sent me of other families that had children. I was quite worried about my son and what to do whether or not we just all isolate as a family because the chances of them contracting it would have been quite high or to isolate separately and just hope for the best. And the families that I spoke to that isolated with their children and their husbands had to isolate for a much longer period because they seem to have gotten the virus from each other at different, at different checkpoints. So one family, for example, the husband was the first to contract it. Then um, his wife only got it about a week later and then their little boy got it about a week after her. And so the isolation had to go on for so long that they ended up being, they're still in isolation. Now they're only coming out on the 15th of July. So it's been almost two months. I just, I don't have the capacity to do a two month isolation and, you know, I've got a business that's still running. So we just thought that this would be the safest way. My husband's shown absolutely no symptoms and nor's my, my child. And so we just, we're just going to do it seven more days. It's been torture. My poor boy is very confused. Keeps calling me because he knows I'm here, but he can't see him. So we have chats through the window. And once a day, I completely sanitize, wash my hands, wear my mask, come outside and we have a little cuddle. But for us, I think it was just more of a, if I didn't have to worry about work, we probably would have just all isolated together and that's, that'd be that. But you can definitely isolate with your family if you just stay in your room, there's a, I'll share it on my, I'll, I'll share it with you after this as well. If you want to share it to your, your listeners, but there, I was sent a guidelines for how to isolate at home. That was so helpful. And, and you know, many people in our country aren't able to isolate in a separate you know, flat on the property or something. They have to isolate within their own homes. And it's really helpful to understand how to do that. Psychologically speaking, talk us through some of the ups and downs in your headspace. During this time, yeah. So the 
yeah, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, I must say. For me, especially, I mean, I'm I'm in contract catering, so I work with corporates. So my business, as I as I know it, has is kind of come to a grinding halt. And we had that almost like final nail on the coffin on the day that I was like pretty certain I'd gotten the virus. So uh, it was. You think it's I don't know how to explain it. It's, I was definitely one of the people in the camp that was of the beliefs that this is. It's just like the flu. Everybody must get this virus and get it over and done with. And the economy needs to get back to get back, get back going and, you know, just protect the vulnerable and the weak and the rest of us must get back to work and everything. And then lo and behold, I contract the virus. And it, it does, you start to like get a little bit anxious about things because all of a sudden people also feel the need to share their really traumatic stories with you. Like, their friend who was dirty and has no comorbidities, but's on a ventilator and fighting for their lives. And you're like, thanks. Thanks for that wonderful nugget of information. I feel great now. So you, it's always playing on your mind like, oh, would you be that small percentage? I mean, the chances just are really so incredibly low if you are, even if you have a comorbidity, but you man, you're managing it like blood pressure or um, diabetes, or whatever, if, if, as, as long as you're managing it, you, you should be fine according to, to research. But it, yeah, the, the anxiety, the, the guilt, I think that's going to be the, the biggest thing. The guilt, I swear I felt like I was like, you know, I'd like contracted like a, quite a severe STD and I had to phone all my ex-boyfriends and be like, hi, listen, um, I'm positive and I saw you because you know that everybody's got this hectic stigma around it. So the the guilt around that was was probably the most psychologically damaging thing because I'd exposed myself to other people. Um, I'm always very, very open to people when they want to see me that I am at high risk because of the work that I'm doing. And I always allow people to make the choice themselves. And I do believe everybody's choice is their choice, but you can't help but feel slightly irresponsible when when it does happen to you because you don't have control over the virus when it's someone else is, is infected with it you are not in control of what they do and that's not on effect is a bit yeah daunting yeah we touched on it in one of our conversations previous to this is just kind of you know, managing that headspace so when your brain naturally wants to gravitate towards the guilt and the reg- regret and the anxiety and all the images that the media fill us with around this is that manual process of, of pulling yourself away from that and focusing on more balanced perspectives, balanced facts that statistically speaking, I'm in a pretty strong position here. And statistically speaking, I had just as much chance as anyone else of contracting or of passing it on. And I've got to turn some of that regret into, into wisdom in this moment, but also some forgiveness. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's what the using Instagram to talk about. It's also, it helped me with that mindset because not only was I um, able to like talk through my, you know, like say like, these are the things I regret, you know, like I don't want other people to feel what I feel around the guilt and all of that. So it's helping me manage those thoughts in my mind. And it's also helping other people maybe re- like think about choices and decisions they're going to make also opened up this amazing like communication channel that I've probably get three to four people a day messaging me that also were positive haven't had many people to talk to about it because they felt so shamed and then also desperately wanting to share what they went through it's like I just it's 
we are in such a heavy situation psychologically with the isolation in itself and not being able to socialize and everything to, to then add that extra pressure on when you do get sick. And look, people need to realize there's a good chance, especially with the fact that we are, we are coming out of our quarantine when we haven't had the, the big wave that the other countries have had yet. We are going into a, a relaxed form of social distancing that other countries are only going into now once they're seeing their rates really drop. Ours are only just starting to rise. So, you know, I think that we just, I don't know, it's, it just seems silly to add that extra mental load onto yourself when you don't have to. What are some of the things that you do to make yourself feel better? So you spoke about the, the lack of taste and smell and you spoke about being really tired. So I assume you're sleeping a lot. What other things are you doing to kind of make yourself feel better throughout the day and through this experience? Okay. Um, so I'm with my business and what we do and my own personal beliefs, I'm super into like natural medicine and natural healing. And I do, I honestly believe one of the reasons that so many people are getting so sick from this virus is because our bodies are just not strong anymore to, to fight. You know, our immunity is just, gone down the toilet because we don't have um we, we don't yeah anyway whole nother story about nu- nutritional density and food and our soil and all of that so it w- hasn't only been since covid since before i've just kind of maintained what i've been doing for the past four months which is basically add extreme support to my immune system so i mega dose on vitamin c i take vitamin d a thousand milliunits whatever it is five times a day and i keep up with my vitamin b12s people always poo poo supplements sometimes because they say oh but you can get it all from food and you just unfortunately unless you are eating organically grown heirloom seed produce that you've farmed in your back garden with your own homegrown compost you're not getting it from food. Our food is incredibly nutritionally lacking at the moment. Um, and I'm very big into essential oils. So there's a, a, a an oil I use called Breathe, which is shown to uh, elevate your oxygen levels in your blood. And I, I had quite a scary Saturday where I didn't, I mean, I think I stood up for 15 minutes talking to someone over the, the balcony in the road that came to drop off food. And when I came and sat back down, I, I couldn't catch my breath and my heart rate was like going through the roof. It, it was, I just couldn't like calm down and catch my breath. And I just did my, my oils, opened up my lungs. I was able to breathe better and yeah, I felt amazing. And last night I, I've got a diffuser here. I have like a, looks like there's a, looks like the opening scene for Hamlet in my quarantine room with all my potions and lotions. And I do, I feel that it's, whether it's psychosomatic or not, I feel like it's really helped. Again, one of the most common questions is, what meds have you been uh, prescribed? And I don't know if I'm just one of those people that knows this type of stuff, but there's no, there is no medication that can cure a virus, any virus. A virus is something that your body has to process. And it's just depending on your strength of your immunity whether you process it quickly or whether it, it takes a long time for your body to heal. So that's like, that's my main message. I'm trying to push on my platforms and stuff is just look after yourself. You can make such small changes to your life. I, I haven't had any chesty issues or cough or sore throat or anything, but I don't, I don't eat dairy. I'm not a vegan, but I just don't eat dairy. So incredibly mucus forming. I mean, we, you can go so deep into all the, nutritional kind of pointers into to what to do otherwise it'd be here for hours but yeah i think 
just to make small healthy choices at home. I'm loading up on my supplements. I take olive leaf extracts. I take all the antivirals that you can that I can get my hands on. Resting and it's about it. Yeah, and broth. You're drinking lots of soups and lots of broths. I think psychologically, coming back to that again is you know taking care of our physical health. I think everything you said there is, is so valuable and so important. That self love and self care for our body. But listening to you talk earlier, there are also certain things that you obviously learning as you go along and doing better and better uh, in terms of yeah taking care of your your heart and your mind through this and talking sounds like one of them staying connected talking sharing experiences what advice would you give to someone who's sitting at home isolated and trying to deal with all the different emotions around this sure i think firstly you have to reach out to someone you can't go through all the emotions of this alone it's it's not it's you you don't need to i don't think even if it's you know it, it might be a stranger you might be able to there's a corona positive support groups on facebook that I was directed to. There's a lot of places that you could probably go if you wanted to get like anonymous help. But I think, you know, your loved ones and those around you that care about you, help them get over the stigma around it by being open and honest yourself because it's going to make you feel better. And if they do say, oh, uh, uh, then just educate them. And the fact that even the global recordings now are said to be 10 times more what they actually are recorded. I was reading on Worldometers last night they, they can't even give you the correct death rate percentage because it's, it's impossible to know. There are so many asymptomatic cases. Like there really is no need for it to be a stigma around it. It's, it's as, I don't want to say it's as common as the, as the flu, but it's going to become like that as it just continues to pass around through people. It's not something that's going to just vanish out of thin air. So we must just accept it. It's there and you know, be accepting of the people that are, that are, you know, okay to speak up about it and say, oh, I'm Corona positive. I feel like I need like a, a, like a cool badge, like a cool badge would be cool that you could like wear and be like, yeah, I'm Corona positive <laughs> or I was Corona positive. Not like I'm Corona positive yeah, now and I'm spoke, cruising around. <laughs> you've spoken about the support that you've got. Has there been anything hurtful that's happened during this experience? Um, no, thank goodness. I don't, I'm quite sensitive. So I don't, I don't think I would cope well if there were hateful messages or trolls. Um, no, I, really it's been super positive. The only thing that's, that's been made, I wouldn't say it's even negative and that you don't realize how, when you like open yourself up on a platform like Instagram, that you can say so many things that are not right. Like I think in the first video I compare, I said, geez guys, it's, I don't have Ebola or herpes. And then someone commented and was like, you know, maybe just be sensitive to the people that do have Ebola and herpes. We, they shouldn't be shunned either. You know, it's like no one should be shunned for contracting like a virus or an illness. It's, it, it does. It, it's, those type of things make you really think about how your, your knee-jerk reaction to like. So now I say leprosy because nobody wants leprosy. So can't shun those people. <laughs> I suppose it always just comes back to what Kindness Can talks about so often, that being careful with your words and your actions, both to yourself and others, and trying, we all make mistakes all the time, but trying to be more and more sensitive around that is just so valuable in the world. Shannon, thank you for sharing not only your, your status with us and your experience around that, but yeah, pieces of your, of your heart and your wisdom. It's been wonderful catching up with you. 
Oh, thank you, Paul. And thank you guys and, and for having me on the show, Jane. Yeah, I think the more we talk about this stuff and the more we normalize it, the more people are going to be able to cope with it better and um, the stronger we're going to be together as like a nation. Mm. Well, so much love to you and seven more days until you're with your guys. And if you ever need anyone thank to you. talk to, you know where to find Paul and I. So much love to you. Thanks so much. Yeah, go well, Shannon. Uh, yeah, if you'd like to find out more about the work of Kindness Can, you can drop us an email at info at kindnesscan.co.za or find us on social media. Stay safe and take care. Lots of love. You've been listening to Kindness Can, the podcast. Find out more at kindnesscan.co.za.